Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune. I will be your host today on Game Changers, and I want to get right into the show by welcoming our guest, Tom Skypeck. Tom is the founder and CEO of GovBiz Connect. Tom was uh, on the show a few months ago, and uh, we're happy to have him back on. Tom, for those who didn't uh, get a chance to listen to the last episode, why don't you take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Sure, absolutely. Well, it's great to speak with you again, Michael. Uh, so I, last time we connected, we we talked a little bit about uh, teaming, why it's important to contract uh, and business development professionals. But basically what GovBizConnect is, is it's an online professional network that connects small and large government contractors and contracting officers. Users fill out a profile, search for teaming partners based on specific criteria. Uh, and, and what we're trying to do is really use data and technology to help improve that the teaming process. Yeah, you know, we're, we're talking, uh, we're recording this in late 2016. People are going to be hearing it in 2017. And what a concept using data and technology to make things simpler right and and it's it's funny when i look at what you guys are doing being one of the first to really put a system out there that does teaming relationships the way you guys do it so i, I really appreciate what you guys are doing and i really like that and uh and so you know last time we talked about some of the the fundamentals of teaming and today i really wanted to kind of dig in a little deeper into one of those areas which i i, I personally think it's it's very overlooked um is looking at teaming to help grow your pipeline grow your opportunities i i think when a lot of people think of teaming they think i need to team on a contract to close a deal and then, you know, I'm kind of done, you know, or maybe hopefully, possibly, you know, they'll bring me on to another contract, but, you know, I'm going to cross my fingers. You know, if I do a really good job, maybe it'll work out. But let's kind of start off by backing up a little bit and talking about for just a moment, 
why do companies team? So, you know, like specifically, what are the top three or four reasons why small or large businesses need to team? Sure, absolutely. So, and, and I think it's important context for business development professionals to really kind of get in the heads of, of, of their potential partners and understand what those drivers and motivators are. So I'll take them one at a time. So for the small business, uh, they're looking to team for, for a few different reasons. One is to um, augment their in-house capabilities uh, to become more technically competitive in a bid. Um, so a lot of these smaller businesses, they have a limited number of employees. They're very lean. Um, so they could be in a position where they could be competitive on a contract, but they don't have what you would call a deep bench. And so uh, they may need to go externally. They, they might not be able to hire for whatever reason. And it may just be more prudent for them to partner with another small or a large business to help make them technically competitive, right? So that would be bringing on a staff member with a certain skill set or, or a company that has past performance in the area they want to work. So that that's the first reason. Um, the second reason for the small business is really to, to help build out and establish their brand um, by partnering with a, a proven brand, right? So again, the barrier to entry is fairly low for these small businesses. There's a lot out there. So you can differentiate yourself by doing great work, but if you can partner with one of these top tier brands, it really can elevate you in a short period of time. So finding an established brand, one of the top contractors to partner with um, can really help uh, position the small firm to win more work. And, and the third piece here is uh, for the small business to gain experience uh, as a subcontractor to prepare to become a prime contractor. So um, lots, of, lots of different uh, roles really in the prime contractor and subcontractor space from administration of the contracts and that type of thing. So you know, if you're a small business, you're kind of just getting into it. Uh, it's good to, if you will, shadow other companies that are prime contractors. And this will help prepare the small business to be able to take on prime contracting roles, or if they already have prime contracts, to take on even more complex roles to see how uh, companies that have established processes that work well um, could be employed for, for their team. So those are kind of the three big reasons for small business. Um Ship, uh, shifting gears to the large businesses, um, one of the big reasons is you know, teaming with a small business enables these larger firms to bid on contracts that are set aside for small businesses as a teammate. So uh, as we talked about in our, our last discussion, about 25% of all contracting dollars, federal contracting dollars, uh, every year are set aside for small business. And so this creates that imperative for large businesses uh, to, to, to partner with these small firms to bid on certain contracts or pieces of certain contracts. Um, so there's kind of a structural imperative there. The other piece, and, and this was a similar reason for the small businesses, to aug augment in-house capabilities. Um, so this is less likely for the, the larger businesses because they have tend to have deeper be benches. But um, let's say you have one of these large Fortune 500 contractors and there's a small firm that has very specific expertise, they would want to partner with that small firm rather than trying to hire someone. So um, that's another reason. Becoming more cost competitive in a bid is another reason that you'll find these large businesses teaming. Generally, the smaller businesses have lower overhead and their loaded rates and, and 
this is a mechanism for large businesses to try and uh, drive down um, the price point on the bid they put together. So uh, there's an, a financial imperative for them. Um, and then also, uh, depending on what the valuation criteria look on the, looks like on the contract, even if it's not uh, required, uh, partnering with a small business can often make the large firm more competitive when socioeconomic status is a weighted evaluation factor. So it may not be a hard requirement, um, but there may be some opportunities in, in the scoring process um, uh, to really uh, kind of, if there's a tie and you have a small business and it's a factor, uh, that can kind of make the difference there. So those are some of the, the core reasons why the small and large businesses team. And I think it's important for uh, each side to kind of understand those motivating factors when you're thinking about entering and approaching a, a teaming agreement. No, I, I think those are, are really, really critical. And I, I think you hit every single one of them. And, you know, as, as I'm listening to you talk about those, those are those are things that I think most contractors understand, but yet they don't. You know, it, it's one of those things like I get it. But do you really, you know, like, like really pay attention to what Tom was saying here, you know, just like, like the first one for the small business, you know, having a deeper bench, you know, what does that mean to your capabilities to, to get a deeper bench or to augment some capabilities you don't have or things like that? Or, you know, I've heard people talk about, um, you know, well, our bonding capability is really small and so we can't go after certain work. Well, you know, if you don't have enough, you know, manpower, to go after certain contracts, you're going to see a $5 million contract come up and think, well, we're not even going to even entertain that because we don't, we clearly don't have the manpower. You know, we're only, we're only focused on hundred thousand dollar contracts. So I, I think just being aware of all these reasons why you team, I, I think that's kind of the, the first way to open up your pipeline and broaden your opportunities with government contracting, because now instead of focused on, Five hundred thousand dollar and, and below contracts, you can now jump up to million dollar, two million dollar, five million dollar. You can you can widen the range of what you're even searching for on you know whatever site you're searching, or whether you're using a bid matching tool or FBO or whatever it is. Um, so you can widen your range just by thinking about bringing partners in on that. But what are what are your thoughts on whether it's it's directly related to these or or other ideas? How do companies use the teaming relationship to grow the pipeline because because initially here what we're talking about is how you become more competitive to actually win an opportunity how do we then add more and more opportunities to through these relationships through teaming sure well i think a lot of this kind of harkens back to our previous discussion and one of the problems that, that we talked about is a lot of folks, companies sort of approach teaming as this 11th hour tactical exercise. And what they need to do is zoom out and think of it as, as part of their broader business strategy. So in which markets do I want to compete? What type of work do I want to compete for? And, and how best can I win that? So kind of thinking about teaming through a much more strategic lens rather than sort of this last minute tactical exercise. So so I, I think that alignment is really important, making sure that the company is clear on their strategy, which markets they want to enter in and what they expect to do in those markets, and then start to think about teaming in that respect. So um, let's say I want to go into X market and I've got strengths in this market, but I do have some weaknesses. So I'm going to look at partners who help turn those weaknesses uh, into strengths. Um, and 
what you want to do, and, and this is, I think, what you're getting at, is try not to think about these teaming arrangements as one-offs. So, oh, I'm going to team with this partner for this contract and it's over. You really want to try and cultivate relationships that are transferable um, to different customers. Um, so, so what you want to do is you, you get in a teaming arrangement, and of course, this is all sort of predicated on the, the two companies working well together. Um, that's certainly uh, uh, critical. Um, but then working together to sort of look at the market and look at ways to take this successful relationship that's been tested on a contract and then deliberately look at the pipeline together in certain areas. Now, I mean, this can be sensitive because you still may be competing against them in certain areas, um, but kind of having that frank of a dialogue where um, we, we're going to team together and we're really going to try and dominate this niche of a market. Um, that will really enable you to kind of expand your pipeline and increase your probability of winning uh, in that space considerably. Well, I, and I think you hit on something really important there, and I want to make sure listeners heard that. I think being able to choose a niche to go after is very important when, let's say it's, you know, it's Mike and Tom, let's say we're, you know, we're one company and it's a two-person company, but we want to work with Lockheed Martin. And we're just going to throw that or, or Boeing mm-hmm. or some big company out there and Boeing who could do tons of different type of work. But you and I are two of the world's best experts in this one particular field. It would make more sense that we niche our teaming around our niche instead of saying, well, we just like to team with you on any contract we possibly can. You know, could could you open up your salesforce.com to us and show us everything you have in the division like that's never going to fly. But if but if we could sit down and have the conversation you just talked about of, you know, we want to work in a very specific niche. We are two of the top 10 experts in the country, if not the world in this area. And we will make you very, very competitive. So strategically, could we go after this work together? You know, absolutely. And I, I think and this goes back to, again, my sort of thoughts on the essence of good strategy really is focus. So you want to do a lot of different things, but the reality is you're only going to be able to do a few things well, but that's it. That's all. If you really can do a few things well, that's perfect and you'll have great business success. So it's really finding those niches and then trying to monopolize them. Um, that's kind of a theory. Peter Thiel, he's an investor, co-founder of PayPal, and, and he talks about finding a niche and monopolizing it. So if you can think about that, uh, finding that niche and then positioning yourself again. Let's say it's it's the Tom and Mike business, and uh, we establish ourselves as uh, a very solid partner with Lockheed. We partnered with them, knocked it out of the ballpark. Then we position ourselves as, hey, we've got past performance with you. We think this sort of niche market here is a real opportunity where our two companies can partner and really own this space. Um, that's that's a pretty persuasive argument and one that any business development professional, even at a large company like, like Lockheed, will um, will take very seriously and, and want to hear sort of the thoughts around that. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I think a lot of companies hear the word niche and they they cringe and they get really scared and it's mostly around the concept of this fear of loss. Well, if if I niche myself into this area, I I, there's a chance I'm going to lose other work. And as you hinted here, you know, even the big companies 
will look at a niche service provider and say, wow, we'd like to have these guys locked up in an agreement. You know, we, we'd like to be the guys that are teaming with them. And, yeah. and I think what, what most people miss out on is the tangent business that would come from that. So especially if you have conversations with your teaming partner on a regular basis, which, you know, if you're winning contracts and you're focused in your niche, you should be having more conversations with them. So more conversations should lead to more opportunities, right? And so if I'm having more conversations with these folks, there's going to be a, a time where they say, hey, I know you focus on X, but we have an opportunity that's coming up around Y. Is that something you guys can handle? Would you be interested in? Maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know if you guys do that type of work. I, I have people call me for, the, for those types of things all the time. We don't know if you guys do this, but... You know, we saw you speak at a conference and we were just wondering if, right? And so I think being able to have those conversations and and show your expertise will lead somebody to say, I really like working with Tom. I, I really think he's a super smart guy. Um, I wonder what else he can do, right? And then other yeah. opportunities will come from that. You know, in, instead of being the guy who's not good at anything and just, hey, man, I'm just, I'm your utility <laughs> player. Let, let me plug in. Then they don't even know what to plug you in on. Right. Exactly. It's I mean, it gets back to this. You know, there's a, a lot of folks have the propensity to do that shotgun approach to business development where they're bidding on everything. But to, to your point, so if you monopolize a niche and you're just you're that go to expert in it, that will open up adjacent opportunities um, because you'll be recognized as an expert who gets things done. And there will be opportunities created beyond that niche that will allow you to expand. So, for example, let's say that we were doing. Uh, Tom and my company were doing logistics planning for 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 the Navy. Um, and then we did it for the Marine Corps partner with Lockheed Martin, right? Lockheed Martin comes back and says, you know what? We, we actually have an opportunity here with a civilian agency to do similar types of work, right? So that's what I've seen in the past happen is you demonstrate those capabilities that you can execute at a high level. And then those type of opportunities expand around being able to deliver on a really specific you know, body of work. Yeah, no, no, that's really, really good piece of advice there. So in in your experience, have you seen, and, and I don't know exactly how to ask this question, but have you seen the the best approach for a small business to approach a big business? And, and just to kind of caveat this, when I say small business, I'm talking government small business size standards here. So, you know, you could be in the millions of dollars and still be a small business approaching a billion dollar corporation. And that's kind of what we're talking about, you know. What are what are some of the best practices for me as the small business to approach a, a bigger company like that? Is it to bring an opportunity where I'm going to be a sub? Is it to bring an opportunity where I want a prime but want them to you know strengthen my bench? What what are what are some of those things that you've seen? So I mean, any of what you just mentioned could be successful, but the one sort of constant is that. If it's going to be a successful dialogue, it really needs to be around something specific. So it can't it can't be this generic, you know, here's Tom and Mike approaching Lockheed and we would like to partner. Um, we would ideally go with, hey, there's this opportunity that we know is going to hit the street in eight to 12 months. We think there's an opportunity to partner where we prime and you sub or vice versa. So going with a specific opportunity, um, 
And making sure that sort of the value proposition of the partnership is articulated. Uh, and so as the, the, the company initiating that dialogue, it's more incumbent on them to really articulate that, have done their research on the company and have a theory of how it fits together and, and be able to speak to sort of the monetary return of the, of the contract. But any of those ways can work. Um, but I, what I've seen most effective is when it's a, a specific um, dialogue. Hmm. No, that, no, that's really good. And, and I like something you kind of hinted at there. And, and again, you know, some of this stuff is so second nature to us. We don't even think about the, the intricate details, right? And, you know, you mentioned, hey, a specific opportunity that we know is hitting the street in six or eight months. And that hints at you have market intelligence about the opportunity, whether you have spoken directly to the contracting officer already, whether you have, you know, friends on the inside, whatever it may be, you have specific market intelligence about the opportunity. The, you know, it's not like the first time you saw it was on FedBizOps. You know, right, right, exactly. You, you know, hey, you know, there's a source of thought that we just found that's been out for 90 days. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you, exactly. I mean, and that would be an example. So, so just to, I guess, add a layer of nuance. So that would be an example. I find something on FedBizOps, and it's a specific opportunity. Yes, but I don't, you know, I don't know the customer. I haven't worked with them. Uh, that's a much weaker, you know, proposal to take to a large company. Uh, to your point, that's. If you can demonstrate that market knowledge, um, that market intelligence, and that you have relationships or you're cognizant of the key stakeholders in that space, I mean, that, again, will make your your pitch to the large business much more compelling. Because uh, as we know, I mean, if you don't have certain uh, uh, things kind of going in your favor, like knowing intimately that market space or knowing some of the key stakeholders, it's very difficult to win. Um, so it going to the table with that, uh, puts you in a much better position and, and, and the large business is going to take you much more seriously. Yeah. Which, which is what we're after, right? We, we want Absolutely. them to take us more seriously. And, you know, we, um, we're talking today about growing your pipeline and opportunities through the teaming relationship. And so I think everything we're talking about are little intricate strategies on how you would do this. And I, I kind of want to wrap up our discussion on something we haven't talked about, but it's just some of the, the key words you keep dropping. I keep, I'm coming back to things like even just customer service or thinking about others first, right? You know, I, I've been in government for a long time and I've been in the, 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 the commercial market for a long time, very different mentalities. It's, it's very, very different. You know, to me, when I, when I work with a lot of government folks, it's very focused around, well, we get up, we go look at FedBizOps, we go, you know, we check what our, our, we call our contacts and see what's about to drop. We fill out proposals, we find a teaming partner, we win it, we do the work and we recycle it. You know, and in the commercial world, it's, you know, we, we do some marketing, we do the best to pull people in, we do, we do some push marketing, some pull marketing. Once we get a customer, we work our backside off to keep them, and it's all about them. You know, or at least that's how it needs to be. It's, it's all about them, and there's all this effort around customer service and serving the customer and showing your value and proving your value. And, and I, don't, I think that's kind of missed in the government on the front end because I, I think the government, it, it's almost like robotic for a lot of people and a lot of companies of, well, you just, you know, you just go fill out. You know, an RFP, you submit it, you do the work, and then you do it again. You know, it, and, and yeah, you try to communicate value through documents, but not necessarily worry too much about it. So um, 
thinking from that, and I want to, to kind of set the stage for the last part of the discussion with that, thinking about serving people, thinking about communicating value. What are some of the things that I need to, as a government contractor, to work into my daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it is, business development plan and practices to actually show those things purposefully to, you know, the, the prospective teaming partners. Does that question make sense? It, it does. Yeah. I mean, I think there, to your point, there's a lot of focus on acquisition of the customer. So award of that contract, right? So sometimes contracts awarded great. And then to your point, it becomes mechanical. There needs to be as much, if not more, focus on retention of that customer. So what that really translates into is meeting all the requirements requirements in the statement of work and where, where it makes sense strategically over-delivering um, so that you're able to retain that customer and position yourself um, to, to win additional option years. Um, and so I, that is something I see where I think there's there's an overemphasis on on winning new work, um, sometimes to the detriment of keeping the good business you have. So you sort of take this eye off the ball, uh, and you you're just trying to constantly win, win, win. But you know, an existing contract is a source of revenue for your firm now, and is the most likely source of revenue for the for your firm in the future. So to shortchange the retention, customer retention piece um, is, is very serious. Um, and so one of the ways that I've used when I was managing contracts uh, was I, I was a big fan. You know, sometimes these are, are mandated in the, um, the contracts, but using the weekly status reports and weekly meetings with your customer to talk about the value. So it's not just what was accomplished this week. But really thinking about um, elevating that in terms of I didn't just execute this task, but but trying to translate the benefits and the features and value into that that statement. So instead of just being a, a rote status report, really communicating that value and taking every opportunity you have with the customer, whether it's virtually via email status report, talking about that in terms of the unique value and the pain points that you're alleviating. So I think that's key to the retention play um, and making sure that companies don't just get in this rote program status report update, but take it as an experience to sell the good work that's going on, uh, you know, ongoing. Well, you know, and I think uh, to your point there, um, I think the more you can retain clients and the more you're known for that, I think the more your partners are going to love that, right? And and yeah. bring you in to do more work. And you know, a, a friend of mine always tells me he was like, retention is the key to growth. Yeah. Retention is the key to growth because if you are always chasing your tail, trying to replace what you have, you don't actually have a business. You have a promotion. Yeah. And in your promotion is about trying to pay X bills or whatever it is you're trying, you know, whether it's a million dollars of revenue, you know, if you're cycling through a million dollars and it's all new business, every time you've got a problem in your business. So it, it should be layering on top of itself through that customer, uh, you know, through those repeat customers and you should see growth, you know, with that. So, and I, there's no magic formula here. Uh, you know, I've heard some companies that say, well, 80% of your business should be, you know, recurring with 20% new. 
I, I don't know. If you're going through a really fast growth cycle, it could be flip-flop the other way. There, there's really no good formula on that, especially early stages of the business. But retention being a, a huge key to growth. I, I also like what you said there about, you know, in, in that, whether it's the weekly meeting or monthly meeting, whatever it is, the update meetings that, that we're doing on the contract, trying to, you know, communicating the value more and not, you know, Again, it's one of those things where it's very simple to say, what did we accomplish this week? Oh, well, we stood up these three websites. We integrated this accounting platform. Uh, but what did that really accomplish for the customer? You know, what did it really yeah, accomplish? Exactly. And and that's the, that's the thing, too. So it's, again, not just, okay, we executed line item 1A, 1B, 1C, but really translating and communicating that value um, because – the customers are busy. They have a lot of things going on. Contracting can be going very well, um, but they're not always going to notice it. And sometimes you do need to call it out. Again, um, you know, there's a place and sort of a, a a way to do this so you don't sort of sound like the the TV pitchman or right, right. uh, use car salesman. But but it's certainly something that can be done and I think exploited more more effectively is when a contract is going well to make sure you're using those customer interactions to reinforce your value proposition um, because you have real-time evidence that you can point to um, that that supports your claim. I mean, this is not a abstract or theoretical exercise. It's we're delivering for you and creating value for you right now. And so the more... You know, repetition is so key. So the more times that the customer hears that and sees that, uh, the more powerful you know the retention piece is going to be. And, and you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the exact you know the specific formula for new business versus renewal or retention business. You know, it, it you know it, it, it that doesn't it, it matters, but the the key is that you want to be cognizant of how important that renewal business is. So it's easy after you've had a few wins to. It feels good to win a contract, right? So right. you want to kind of keep creating that feeling. But again, the reality is the contract that you have today or contracts that you're currently executing are really your best and most likely sources of future revenue. So you really need to nurture those opportunities uh, and keep your eye on the ball when it comes to keeping your current customers happy and, and making sure that you're retaining that business. Well, and, and to that point there, you know, it's one of those things where not only will it create more opportunities with that customer, you know, so there's there's growing your pipeline right there, right? It's going to create more opportunities. It's going to create more opportunities with your teaming partner, whether it's that contract or another contract. I've actually been brought in before um, a couple of different Big contractors, uh, General Dynamics was one, Bearing Point was another, where they said, look, your expertise in this is one thing, but how you handle a customer is, we just, we don't have the expertise in this area, and we've seen the way you handle a customer in meetings, and, you know, you go in, you know, the building's on fire, and by the time you leave, they're giving you a hug. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't know how to do that with this customer, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and so they're like, so who else can you talk to for us? So those are things that really open up opportunities for your company when you take the time to focus on that. And I would say a strategy we haven't talked about that I'm, I'm going to throw out there real quick is sometimes in order to open up your opportunities, it makes sense to not. I repeat, it makes sense to not actually go after 
a new RFP if it's going to divert you from your schedule, your deliverables, your whatever on a current client. You know, sometimes it makes yeah. sense to just say no and say, you know what, we'd love to go after this opportunity, but right now we have a 30-day window and yet we could come in on time or slightly late, but we want to come in under budget and wow this customer who is critical to our success. And that is more important than chasing an RFP where we have a 50-50 chance of winning. So there's an op- it's, it doesn't sound like an opportunity, but by saying no to certain things like that and delivering to your current customer, you could actually open up a floodgate of work by just doing what you said you do on the contract or exceeding expectations. So it's a, ca- a, little, yeah. a little counterintuitive there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's tough to, to kind of um, not bow to the short term thinking or short term impulse of, oh, we'll, we'll put some put some resources into this and and we'll bid on it. Um, you know, you, you may win, you may not win. But yeah, again, I think it's it goes back to looking at, at your teaming and business strategy in a much more holistic fashion, um, applying or um, submitting a proposal to sort of a one-off contract that isn't in your space, yeah, is diverting resources from a customer who's who's been paying you, and if you keep doing good work, will be in a position to, to pay you more in the future. So this goes back to that 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 dimension of focus and sometimes strategy is more saying what you're not going to do than what you're going to do. Um, and this is where it really, it helps to have a good team, even, even a small a, a business development team. So, you know, even the CEO who really takes generally the lion's share at some of these smaller firms to have a, a, a several trusted folks on your business development team who can um, make sure that the long-term vision uh, is always in focus so that if someone on that team starts to say, oh, geez, maybe we should do this, um, we can reel them back in and say, you know, that looks like an interesting opportunity, but honestly, it's going to divert resources away that we just can't afford and it doesn't make sense over the long term. Have, being able to have that discussion. Right. No, no, that's super important. And, you know, I, what I always tell clients is it's very important for you to have a strategy and to use your strategy as a filter to make decisions. I mean, that that's really, I mean, that's one of the reasons you need a strategy is so you can filter decisions through the strategy. Otherwise, why have a strategy if you're not going to filter decisions through it? No, that's, and, and that's a perfect sort of visual or, or is, is the filter strategy as a filter. So it's wh- which markets we want to compete in, what we want to do, what our value proposition is. And, and if you think of that and you have it crystallized, Every opportunity out there, and there's a boatload of them, should go through that filter. And a lot of them are going to just get weeded out real quickly because because they don't align. But but like we talked about last time, is you know, it's really important to get that business development leadership team on the same page. And again, maybe have that offsite where you just clarify the strategy because we've talked about you know, you, you may pull, let's say you've got four key members on your business development team and you say, okay, what's our strategy? And you just kind of do a round robin and you get four different answers. That happens right. quite often. And, and so that is a problem, but one that can be remedied pretty quickly. But to your point, which is an excellent one, is that, yeah, a good strategy is going to ser- serve as a filter that really does help the, the, the business development team stay focused. Yeah. And, you know, I would almost say that if, if you can't communicate your strategy as a team, it, it, it could mean a couple of things. One, it just hasn't been made clear is what it could be. It could also mean it's not a good strategy. 
you know, and, and maybe you need to think through because maybe um, you really haven't drilled down deep enough, you know, niched it enough, hadn't gotten specific enough. Um, it needs to be in a way where it's not only very clear, very specific, everybody can articulate it, but it needs to work. You know, it needs to be something that we've seen work time and time again. And so, you know, like I said, the business development team or whoever it is, they have faith in the strategy and they have faith in saying yes to certain opportunities and no to other opportunities. Because that's, you know, once we start to empower the team through that, I always call it like like their mojo, right? Like they get this mojo, this swagger about them and they just become better. It's not arrogance. It's just this confidence that allows them to do their job better. And I think that's part of what a really good solid strategy does for a team. And so I, I love seeing that communicated properly, but you're right. You know, you, you get in a meeting and you go around the table and no one has said even remotely the same thing, or it's, it's so diluted. You don't even know what you just said. Um, so if you can't communicate it to your team, they can't execute it. Right. You know, that, exactly. that, that, that's kind of the bottom line. So, so, so thanks for being on the show again, Tom. I know we're going to have you back on here in the near future. I really appreciate it. I think this is all really good stuff for our listeners. If you're listening, go back, listen to some of the little details about how you can grow your opportunities. I think you'll get a lot out of this. So, so thanks again, Tom. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers, where we'll have links to their website, social media, and contact information. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program, at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.